my worst nightmare happened. So we're in like, you're in yoga teacher training. And I think I've told you this before. When I was little, I would sing and my, my beautiful, darling, lovely sister, Heather would say, don't sing. You can't sing. Um, and, um, so I never would sing cause I was just like, I've got the worst voice in the world. I shouldn't sing. And I don't, you know, I don't think I sung in front of anybody in a really long time. And then Kundalini, you know, makes you sing. And I also started like, I used to sing in my bathtub when I was getting sober, I would wake up in the morning and I'd listen to like all this like uppity music and like K star. Um, I would just like, just belt it out in the tub. <laughs> and my, my landlord came up to, or the, whatever the building manager came up to me one day and he said that one of the tenants, um, Cause I, my bathroom in San Francisco, like your bathroom usually has a window and the window is in like a, into a, a walled corridor where everyone else's bathroom is. You can just, you only mm-hmm. hear the bathrooms. And, um, he had people <laughs> coming to him and saying, who's the girl that's singing in the morning? <sighs> and I was Stop so that. embarrassed. And he said, no, your voice, he said, no, they all love your voice. They said that it's great. They said, and I was really? like, just that's- so embarrassed, <sighs> but I found through doing yoga, like I have a good voice. I actually have a good voice. And, and that kind of also just happens when you see, I sing all the time at uh, Kudalini. And mm-hmm. so yesterday I'm like out of my mind, you know, we've been, I've done, it's like afternoon on Sunday. It's like probably my 16th, 17th hour in that weekend of doing like meditation or yoga, or, you know, lecture or whatever. And um, and we're singing Wahe Guru, Wahe Guru, Wahe Guru, Wahe Gio. And, um, and this girl, um, Anna, who's in the training and is also a teacher there, she's, she's so funny. And, and she and I just like were doing a slow clap for someone right before it. So we were laughing. Um, and then I'm singing and I'm singing in this monotone voice. And I decide I'm going to sing in a high voice. And so I start going like instead of, I was like, like, just like doing it like loud and um, because it felt good. And that's kind of what Kundalini is. Like you do what feels good. And not only that, like three weeks before Guru Singh had just given this whole lecture about how no one is off key. There's no key. Like when, when, you know, like, uh, like essentially that you sing in your own key, like you sing in your own key and you sing in it proud because when, you know, if the whole world starts singing at once, it needs all the keys and they all blend together in this beautiful harmony. And I, I believe that. I really do believe that, that, um, you know, it's like just to sing. So I'm singing and I'm singing how I want to sing. And I'm so lost in it because it's like a 22 minute meditation and you're just chanting Wahiguru, 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 Wahiguru. And then all of a sudden I notice everyone around me, like this girl's laughing. And I look and I was just like, she laughing at me? 
me and then <laughs> then the two women around her like all the women around me just start laughing and I like have this thing of like which is my biggest fear by the way of like being me and singing and then people laughing at me because I yeah. sound awful because I'm I am the weird one in the fucking kundalini class you know like which is a <laughs> right. really hard hard prize to win and so I'm sitting there and I was like, okay. And I just was like, I'm just going to keep on singing how I've been singing. So, and I was like, and you're being crazy, Holly. Like you're being so crazy. Like, you know, like stop making this about you. Um, and so we're sitting there and we're waiting in the bathroom and she's in front of me. And I was like, what were we laughing about? Cause I started laughing when she was laughing, even though I had a theory that it was about me. It was about you. And she goes, didn't you hear that? Like somebody was so off key and singing like out of turn. Like, like it would be like, Wahe Guru. And then you could Wahe Guru. And I was like, <laughs> that was me. And I just said, that was me. Um, so anyways, it was like this moment of like having the worst thing happen, which is like you being ostracized as the weird person. Um, and the one with the bad voice, you know, <laughs> like <That's so> <laughs> laughed at, like they were in fits of uncontrollable laughter and so um so anyway like the best part about it was like I just was I I like had this moment like of I can personalize this and make myself feel really shitty about this I can go straight into that old wound and be like this is proof that I'm different and weird and that I, you know and then or I can just be like what the fuck ever and just like let it go yeah and so it's just it was kind really of a funny. great growth moment all packed into one little I at first I was like, I hate you, bitch. You're laughing at other people who are just trying to sing. And then, um, no, and then it was just, it was just fun. It was funny. I start in the next, I go back in and we're doing another chant and we start doing it. And I start laughing uncontrollably myself. Like imagining what her experience of it was. Right. Well, that's what's making me laugh. So. <laughs> oh man. Anyway. Yeah. It was, so, so hey, so that's how I'm doing. So, so hey, I love it. <laughs> oh, God. And also, I feel like I had a really funny story. Um, don't you love it when you can't, when you shouldn't be laughing and you yes. can't help it but laugh? Like at the most yes. inopportune moments. Those are my favorite. Yeah, I do too. I really love them. I haven't <laughs> happened to those lately because I'm not really in situations where I shouldn't be laughing, I guess, but. Um, I totally love that. I was mm-hmm. like the worst in meetings, and yes. oh, it's and when really it just best. gets you, when you oh, really and you stop. can't, you just can't. You're trying so hard, and you're about to like blow a fucking blood vessel at the top of your forehead <laughs> because it's, the pressure of holding the laugh in is too much. Oh my god, my cousin and I—I I will never forget it. We were like probably eleven, and we were sitting with my mom's parents, the Goffs, who were this older couple that lived down the block, and they were proper Southerns. And um, Mrs. Goff, you know, used to like they were just proper. You just you know followed the rules. And my parents had them over for like a Thanksgiving dinner in the middle of like the summer. And uh, my cousin and I are sitting at dinner. And we both ate, and we both like did the same exact thing at once. And we inhale, we lean back, and we unbutton our pants, and we look at each other. And we couldn't help but laugh. And Mrs. Goff was just so upset because it was so inappropriate to be laughing at the table. And we like literally like like got kicked out of the table. And then she goes into the backyard, and I go into the front yard. We keep on seeing each other, and we can't. Like it went on and on and on for hours. Anyway, great. Sorry, you were saying. No, I don't know what I was saying. I had like I, I feel like I have a, a 
a uh, worthy story, but it's right in the, it's like, I can't reach it. It's about Alma. I don't know. We got home yesterday. She got home yesterday after I, I did, um, from California. She's been with her dad for, it's been a longer stretch. Um, so I was really excited to see her. And then she wanted to make a movie on iMovie. I have to send it to you after we're done. It is this kid, like she art directed the whole thing and it's so funny. And there's these moments when you see your kids and you, you realize that you are stuck in like an older version of them. Like she's changed. She changes so fast that I'm like, Oh my God, you like, you know how to respond to that. And you have this like, yeah, much more complex understanding of this than I thought, or you get, you know why that's funny. Like this thing that you're doing, you know why that's funny. And it, it was just like this whole experience of watching her do this blew my mind. It, it was like, oh my God, you're so not the kid you were a week ago. And I, I'm still look at you like you're, you know, this little tiny kid. And she's like, gets this sort of complex humor and had to put herself in all these different little situations, um, for the movie and knew exactly how she wanted to like put it together and, and the clothes that she wanted to have on and the like faces that she wanted to make was like, Oh my God, this is wild. It's, um, I always, I, I don't follow along in the development of, you know what I mean? I'm not privy to like what she's like at this age or that age or this age or that age. But I will tell Mm. you, it does blow my mind when kids put concepts together and when they like, when they're might watching them be able to understand things that, you don't give them – it's very hard for you to understand they, they're able to. Yes. Um, it's like I, I did not have any concept that you could put that together. Yeah. <laughs> that just blows my mind. I'm sending it to you right now. It's a little treat for when we're done. So we're introducing – what's this episode about? Um, we are introducing uh, this lovely and wonderful talk with my girlfriend, Carla. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just about, so Carla and I, we, we talk about this, so I won't go deep into it, but Carla and I met when we were at a Vipassana training, um, last year, or a 10 day silent meditation last year. And, um, and she and I immediately figured out that the other, uh, that we were both, uh, bulimic at one point in our lives. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was interesting. It was just fascinating because, um, I, even yesterday she came into yoga with me and then we grabbed food and we went and sat outside and I don't think when I, when I eat, I just eat and I eat usually until I get full. Um, when I'm with her, I think about food. It's so weird because it's be, she's in, cause she's in my, you know, she knows my shit more than anybody. You know what I mean? Other people that yeah. have like kind of gone off the deep end with food understand what it's like when you eat. So I just remember like I was like, I'm a scavenger. So I only eat the best parts of a meal. You know, I don't know like if that makes sense. My, yeah, my, totally does. my, my old roommate, Annalie with you. <laughs> Oh, really? It's that obvious? Yeah, but I know it too. You know, oh, like okay. I, yeah. My, well, I used to, Anna Lee, my old roommate, used to order a pizza for her and a pizza for me because I would eat all the toppings off of the pizza. Um, <laughs> my, and my yeah. mom knows it too. I mean, I just am, yeah, I'm a scavenger. And, um, but with Carla, like, I was like looking for these clumps of, I was like looking for these clumps of rice. And I was so, you know, neurotic about, I'm just, I get, I get neurotic about it when I eat. I I don't, I've never had an uncomplicated meal. You know what I mean? Like, um, it's just, I don't like worry about, I don't deprive or whatever, but I do, um, 
there is uh, there's there's thoughts, but when I'm with her, I'm aware of the mm. of it more mm. so. And also, she doesn't eat um, around me very much. And she did the same thing yesterday. She yeah. like didn't grab a plate of food and like that that we talk about. She just got like a piece of chocolate and a bag of chips. And so. Um, so it's just interesting. So we we so we've talked about this um, for many reasons um, of having her on, just because um, even though we said we would never talk about food again, um, it's just it's it is interesting. Um, I think, and and I also wanted her on because she's a, she's an actress on The Bold and the Beautiful, and she yeah. is. Um, I always see her on her Instagram if she's like. Um, in a dress on the red carpet. You know what I mean? Like I like one day she calls me and she's getting ready for the date. I think it was the daytime Emmys. And she's like, can I get a key to your apartment so I can just come over and get ready for the, for the Emmys? And now I used to watch E, you know, and I know what people do to get rid of, for, get ready for stuff like that. And I was like, she hadn't bought a dress yet. She's like running over to my place and she's like meeting a stylist here. And um, she ended up not doing it here, but it was, and she didn't give a fuck. You know what I mean? It wasn't well, like it, she was just like, oh yeah. You know, it's just like this thing. And so I've always found it entirely fascinating because I never don't think about how I look. You know, it's a mm-hmm. it's a thing. Um, and she's in the public eye, and she goes, you know, she walks down red carpets and with her legs showing and, um, you know, her arms showing. And, uh, I was just, I don't know. I'm, 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 um, I'm pretty amazed by it. Um, by, by what, what that must feel like to, to be in an industry that drives people to anorexia and and healthy and eating disorders and plastic surgery. And and that's so based in physical appearance, you know, to have come from having that and, and, and how one deals with that. So I wanted to have her on for, you know, various reasons. Um, and yeah, no, she was great. And I, and even though we did swear, we would never talk about food. Like, I think it's still (laughs) really important and, and so connected to, to all of the things that we do talk about and she offers, yeah, she offers like a, a perspective that we haven't had yet. And she's so lovely and, mm. um, God fucking love her. Um, <coughs> sorry, I'm drinking coffee with cayenne pepper in it, <laughs> <laughs> but I want to ask something. Why do you not want to, I think we should say this. If we're going to say it, we should clarify it and back it up. Why do you not want to talk about food ever again? Uh, for me, honestly, I am bored by it um, is part of it. It's like I'm just – I don't find it that interesting anymore. And the other piece is that I don't want to be looked at as someone who people would go to to talk about that thing because I find it boring. And I don't – I also don't want it to be picked at. Like I just – it's just one of those areas where it's like, uh, I just, I don't have, I don't have it in me. You know, it's like, I, I, there's no steam there. There's no, I, I, I love talking about sobriety. I love talking about all the other things that we talk about. It's interesting. I hit this topic and we, we had a couple episodes about it and I'm just like, uh, I don't, I don't got anything for it anymore. Yeah. What about you? Cause I think your answer is a little different. It's 
it's the same and it's different. You know, for me, it's just, I think that food is, you can't abstain from it. There's no black and white. It's very gray. And um, Mm -hmm. I think that we, um, that there aren't, uh, personally, I think that there are not, um, there are not, uh, there's no great holistic approach to eating, disordered eating. You know, we had your friend on that was, um, that never aired, but she's a, she's a psych, you know, her, for her, she's a psychiatrist medical and background, medical yeah. background for her, it's CBT, you know, and then it discounts, you know, the emotional and the, and the first chakra and it, and it discounts, um, body image and, um, mm-hmm. and body dysmorphia and it discounts, you know, um, so many different facets of it. And then, you know, then we had that talk with your coach, Gina, um, and that was, that discounted therapy entirely and, other things yeah. yes and then you know and so you know and then we had this this talk with Isabel and Isabel's like um you know do not diet you know and comes right. from a place of of having you know OA backfire on her for years and um of and from a place uh, where she where it's not about you know what what some people have which is the you know like this the um uh, anorexia, you know, which is, you know, and, and also, uh, is the opposite, you know what I mean? And then, and then we have other people that, you know, or then, and then Sarah who, you know, has, like comes at it from, uh, you know, from, uh, a sugar perspective and, uh, like not including sugar in the diet and, um, and as well as, um, which is, which is weight, like the opposite of Isabel, even though there's a lot of similarities that run between it and, yeah. you know, and so it's like, um, and no matter what we've talked about, unless it's our own personal story, no matter what we've talked about, we've gotten slammed for it. Yeah. Um, and but it's not just that because we get well, slammed I, for a lot of I'm stuff. I'm telling, like, hold on, let me explain from my perspective. It's from, it is, it is, but it's, it's more slamming. It's more, it's actually solicited more feedback um that we have it wrong than anything else that um that I've that I've gotten that I've personally gotten feedback for and so you're asking why I don't want to do it for me it's because I think there is no because I first of all I think no one has figured it out I don't think there's not one person I point to and say they got it going on they've got the whole eating like from the body from you know to society to the feminist like perspective of it too that you know like to the oppressiveness of a lot of it too you know that like to that they've got it dialed in you know Megan is this is Megan's career path my my girl that works with me at hips of writing that works on our show and she and I talk about this frequently there's just no one that's got it dialed in and then looks at it from this like really holistic perspective it's, it's a lot of in you know like do this do that do this do that do this do that do this do that this is the right way this is the wrong way this is you know got to do this can't do this and um you know and and so I think it's somehow even more personal um and also um it's most of what's out there does not really there's no cohesiveness between what's out there um and also I just am not impassioned exactly like you said I'm not impassioned enough about it um, to, you know, to deal with a lot, like I'm, if I put a, if I put a statement out about sobriety, I'm fine standing behind it. You know, my, like the, the way that I approach it or look at it or think about it, I have no problem backing up why we had somebody like Kelly on our show, you know, mm. or why, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to sobriety, I have no problem backing up the, the decisions that we make 
when it comes to the food stuff, I'm just like, I am never, I, it's, it's not important enough. It's, and, and I don't know enough, nor is it my thing, nor do I, nor am I any sort of expert, um, you know, or, or count that I have the answers on it. Um, and so I just am always like, oh God, you know, cause everyone's for some reason, it's just even more than the sobriety thing. I find it's more, people are more in general unhappy with um, mm-hmm. with the guests that we have on and the, the positions that we take than any other type of episode that we have. Yeah. So agree. Yeah. Totally agree. So anyway, so it's just kind of like, here's this. Here's another perspective. Here's another story. I'll keep writing about my own personal. I got over my eating disorders and, and, and whatnot. Um, but I, we're, you know, this is, it's, you know, it's just kind of like when it comes to the food stuff, you know, your opinion is going to always be different than someone else's. You know, it's just really, I mean, on all this stuff, but especially on this, because it is such a, it's such a huge deal. Personal thing. Yeah. And nothing, you know, I can't, like, I still, like, anyway, there's some things that I personally can't do that other women, you know, like saying, like, going sugar-free and then some women that have had, you know, restrictive eating are like, I can do that. And that doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, everyone's just got a totally different fucking thing on it. And so, I don't, it's not my fight. Not my monkeys, not my circus. But here's a great story from one of my dear friends, Carla Mosley. She stars on CBS's Bold and the Beautiful. Um, she also has her own film production company. She does uh, plays and all sorts of things. She's basically a creative genius um, and one of my dear, dear friends. Um, thanks, Carla. Here we go. Carla. I have on my voice. They don't get to hear how high and squeaky my voice usually is. Wait, that your morning very, voice is yeah. more baritone. It's very like sexy and it is sexy. Sexy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, hey! I'm so excited that this is finally happening. We've been talking about this for a long time. Yes. Yes. Um. So we'll kind of jump right into like our meet cute. Um, so Carla and I went on a silent 10 day silent meditation retreat, which I've talked about on the podcast. And, um, I didn't meet Carla directly to meet you directly. I, um, met our friend Helen and our friend Helen helped me with my tent cause I didn't know how to pitch a tent and she had done the same for you, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I was a mess. I was like trying to set up a tent. <laughs> swear to God. Um, and then, and mine was like one of those like $50 pop tents, like where you literally do two things, but it was impossible. And, um, and then she, and then I saw you and it's just really funny. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I just like, I just like, um, like you, I mean, it's not even like the knowing. It was just I wanted to be your friend, um, and absolutely, yeah. And so it was like it was this first night, and this is when we can still talk. And and the three of us, you know, like kind of really quickly get out our stuff, and um, and then uh, and then we make a pact that um, that none, no three of us will leave. That we'll stay through the whole thing because people do, you know, a wall from this kind of thing. Um. And then 
we spend the next 10 days in the silent meditation. And, um, and I love this cause I was telling, um, Laura last night that you're a rule follower. Cause she was asking if you were going to talk about something, uh, something else, not the thing that the other thing that you're not talking about, but the one of the thing, whatever she asked if you were talking about this one thing. And I said, oh, no, she's not. And I said, um, Carla follows rules. And, um, and I said, this is, this is the difference between Carla and I, because I'm a rule breaker. And so we're at this like 10 day retreat and part of the silent meditation retreat is that you can't make eye contact. And so I'm like for 10 days, we're walking around and you go through all this stuff. You make up all these stories about what other people are thinking about you and feeling about you. And you would not make, you wouldn't break the rule. You wouldn't make no. eye contact with me at no. all. And <laughs> what's that? So there's no way that I was going to be the one to ruin someone else's experience or to like be kicked out of Vipassana, be kicked out of like meditation. <laughs> for, for eye contact. So I was like, by the end of it, I thought you had wanted nothing to do with me. I was like, maybe I was, maybe I was wrong. Um, and then, um, anyway. And so, um, so yeah, so we yeah, had this like. Actually, the entire time I was just like, I can't wait to talk to Holly. <laughs> <laughs> like, That's so fun. When they, when they, you know, let us know or when it was close to like the night before when we could talk again, I was, all I could think was, I just can't wait to, to find out what they were thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I thought I had no friends, um, which is like my typical story. But like I, so at the end we had this great, like we, we, you and I, I think figured out really quickly, maybe the first night that we got to talk that we were both in recovery. And then on the last night, what I remember so clearly is, um, is, is Helen saying she's never worried. She doesn't get worrying about food. Like she doesn't like understand, like she doesn't think about food and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking for the last 10 days, I have strategized my day around the food. I have like wondered why I wasn't losing weight because all we were eating was like two and a half times a day. I would think I was like obsessing about how I was going to live off of fruit. Um, I thought more about food, I think, in that 10-day period than I did most other things. Um, and food has never just been food. Um, and I think you and I had this like bonding moment over that of just like that, you know, kind of the kind of thing that you get when you meet someone else that like knows your pain and knows your story. Absolutely. You know, I don't, I definitely don't understand people who don't think about food <laughs> or their bodies all the time. I mean, I have some relief from it now for sure, but it is, it's just been with me since I was a kid and yeah, going into the meditation it was all I could think about was like how, you know, not how am I going to sit still for 10 days? How am I going to be, how am I going to sleep at night? It was like, but what's, but what about the food though? Yeah. <laughs> am I going to like what they make or am I going to be able to have, you know, all of that stuff. So it certainly is, um, if you get it, you get it. Um, and then the other thing we were saying yesterday, Holly, is like, that it was within maybe the first 10 minutes of talking that, that it, you know, it came out that we were both in recovery. And for me, it was like an instant sense of home, of being okay, of like the knowing that, oh, there's someone else here who, who gets it. Even if we're not going to talk, even if we're not never going <laughs> to look at each other again, yeah. there's, there's someone else here who, who understands, you know, and there's yeah. a real in that. Well, and it's like you said yesterday, it's safe. It makes you feel safe when you find somebody that's like going and walking your path. It just, it's, it is like a tethering pole. 
Um, so, I mean, this is, you know, so we're, we're talking today and like, I think it's, like, it's important to mention, I don't know your full story. Um, and it's also important to mention that you are a soap opera star, um, and that you have to be, you know, I mean, your, your story, your, your recovery is food recovery and eating disorder, uh, disordered eating, eating disorder recovery. And, um, and, and also you're, you know, you're, you're unique in, in that you have to be, um, in your underwear on camera and you have to walk red carpets and have your picture taken, um, and, and, in an industry that idolizes, um, you know, bodies and thinness and, and, and perfection. And so, um, I'm so excited for this talk. So why don't you just jump on in and kind of like, I just want to know the background of, of like how your, like what your eating disorder was, how it started. And, you know, just, if you can just kind of take us through your story. Sure. You know, it's funny. I, I used to tell this story all the time and for whatever reason, you know, recently I just haven't been telling like the full story for, um, very much. And, um, it's so funny because it's a part, it's such a part of me, but it feels like, um, almost a lifetime ago, you know, like that, the time when all I could think about was what my body looked like, what other people were thinking of my body, um, what I was going to eat, what I shouldn't have eaten, you know, that just like insane control mind. Um, but it started from a really young age. I have, I come from addict parents. Um, my mom is definitely, um, an overeater has disordered eating, um, uses food to state her emotions. Um, my dad was a, a drug addict, um, an alcoholic and, um, you know, so I, I come, I come by it honestly. And um, <laughs> I, I remember as a kid, uh, well, first of all, I always forget this. And so I'm glad I'm remembering it right away. My, all of my imaginary friends when I was a kid lived in the refrigerator. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry I'm laughing that's not funny but it is it's hysterical it is it's hysterical but, and I always laugh whenever I remember it um yeah what were their were names about, I'm sorry yeah. can you tell us more the main one because there was like a whole community um because that's me. that one thing I do know is I'm a community builder so yeah whenever I have friends it's like a horror <laughs> <laughs> so, it was like Candy Cane, named Candy. Uh, that was the main. And then there were all these different uh, characters in the refrigerator. And then for some reason, in the freezer lived this colony called the Brothers and the Sisters. <laughs> 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 but now it sounds like a hippie commune. I'm not exactly sure. Either that or like a cult. But they were sort of like in outer space. <laughs> 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 those, were my, those were my imaginary friends. Um, and I remember also, you know, sleepwalking once as a kid. And, you know, when you, I don't, I don't know if you know, but I think it's a pretty common thing when you like think that you're going to the bathroom and you end up somewhere else. Um, so I thought that I was going to the bathroom and I like went to the kitchen and opened the utensil drawer and was about to go to the bathroom in the drawer. And then my mom came in and was like, Carla, what are you doing? Um, so, you know, I just obviously subconsciously and consciously had this connection to the kitchen as a space that was safe. Yeah. Um, 
you know, on, on the other hand, the, there's a lot of joy that happened there. Like my family's very musical. And I remember we had this really tiny, we lived in, in an apartment. We had this teeny tiny kitchen and, um, you know, one person, it was sort of like a railroad and, you know, one person would sit all the way on the inside and then my mom would be, you know, cooking in the middle. And then one, one of us would sit sort of in the doorway and we would just sit and talk there. And it was, you know, one of the few times there in the bathroom, <laughs> you know, cause we're all females. It was like one of the few times that we could, um, all be together. Um, you know, my mom was a single mom. I was always running around doing activities, you know, and, and, so it was this, it became this sort of like safe nook and it was warm. And, you know, um, so there's, there's a comfort there as well. Um, but there was also, uh, a, a way that I would sneak food. Another odd habit that I had when I was a kid was like eating butter out of the, um, refrigerator. And my mom, of course, was like, you can't, eat butter. Um, this is not like eat it on a piece of bread. Um, and so I would go into the kitchen, you know, sneak into the refrigerator, sneak the butter. I mean, it was just, it from, it became a game and it became something that I could hide and, and my secret, um, while everything was kind of collapsing around me. Um, my mom and dad, uh, got a divorce when I was, um, well, no, they were separated when I was five. Um, my mom, my dad left and went to live with my grandmother. Um, and then he actually got sick when I was eight. And so he came back to the house to live with us because my grandmother died. And it was when I was eight and nine years old. And it was, you know, the, the most awful choice that ever. <laughs> I mean, mm. I, I don't regret any part of my life because it's definitely made me who I am. And I'm, I'm actually quite grateful for, for my experiences, but, um, but it was a terrible two years, <laughs> you know, it yeah. really, um, shifted things for me. And it's, and after that is, um, after his being there and the, the sort of tumult of having him in and out and using, um, and his dealing with his illness, um, and my mom, denying it, denying it to the point that, you know, we didn't, um, you know, so it was like so many secrets. Were you aware of what was going on? Like, did you know he had a drug and alcohol problem at the time? Like, was that? Yes. Okay. At that young age. Yeah. I didn't, I, yeah. I, in fact, I go back to so much about my voice, you know, which is interesting because I'm an actress and I'm a singer. Um, but I'd never, and I think the reason that I, I gravitated to that is because in that place I had a voice and in the rest of my life, I didn't feel like I did. I felt. What do you mean in that place? In what place? In the theater. In, Mm -hmm. in, um, Oh, okay. Okay. Got it. That's I, I could, I could use my voice. I, and people, wanted to hear it, you know. And you couldn't in your home. Why? Because was they told because, you not. Yeah, because, because family business, yeah. you know, and because there were all these other secrets that I didn't know about, like that I could feel because kids are sensitive, yeah. but I didn't, I didn't know about. And um, yeah, I remember there was a journal that I had from when I was seven. And one of the things you know, it was like a Judy Bloom journal. <laughs> and she asks, 
all of these questions and two of them that stay, well, three of them that stand out, she said, describe yourself. And I said, I am a girl of colors instead of a girl. Of, oh, I'm black. Everybody. Uh, spoiler alert. So <laughs> instead of, I, you know, I, I guess I'd heard them say like people of color. And I said, I am a girl of colors, which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's true still. Um, and then I said, um, you know, I talked about, and yeah, it was seven years old. I, saw, I talked about um, one of the things that I needed to change was, you know, the amount of exercise that I did, that I needed to exercise more. So even at that age, and I wasn't overweight, um, I didn't start gaining weight until probably mm, around 10 years old, around, you know, wh- when everything was going on with my dad. But so this sense of exercise and using that as control, which I'm sure I got from my mom. Um, and then, And then the other thing is, you know, I talked about like wanting to stop my dad's drinking Mm. and I remember saying to myself when, when he was living with us again, you know, when he comes home one day, I'm going to tell him, I'm going to, I'm going to tell him how much it hurts us. And I'm going to let him know, you know, how, how terrible, you know, and also, uh, there was dare at the time. So I was in the, (laughs) and like, talk about being a rule follower. Not only was I in dare, but I was the one who gave, I like won the speech of all the students in all the elementary schools to give the dare speech. And it was called take control. (laughs) 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 You know, sweet. I think back to that little, little person, but also, you know, it's so sweet. Yeah. The the title, like take control, you know, everything just felt so out of control, you know? And it was like that I thought, the way to solve it was somehow to like muscle my way. If I could muscle my way, if I could be a good enough girl, if I could not touch any of the drugs and alcohol, you know, if I get all the good grades, then, then my mom would feel better. She wouldn't be sad. Then, you know, there wouldn't be chaos in my house. Then my dad would stop drinking, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, as far as what was happening with food at this time. So my mom was really using food, started really using food around this time as well. And so So how old were you? How old are you now? So now this is like that nine, 10, sort of nine, 10, like fourth, fifth grade. Um, And I remember we would drive home. We'd like go to the grocery store, be me, my sister and my mom, because she'd pick us up from, you know, we were usually at one of my aunt's houses. We'd go to the grocery store. We'd get like chips, soda, you know, we'd get like normal food too, but there would always be like a something like that, you know, some kind of escape food. (laughs) And by the time, I mean, it was like, a five, 10 minute drive from the grocery store to home and all of hands would be in the bag. Now my sister doesn't, you know, this isn't so much her thing. Um, you know, we all, we all have our stuff, but that's not so much her bag. <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. But I just remember this feeling of like, get as many as you can, you know, more, more, more when we would go to, um, you know, McDonald's, which is so funny because I haven't eaten at a McDonald's and I don't know how long, but it was like, you know, the treat as a kid. Um, we, we would get the ice cream cones during the summer and it was like, I always found a way. It was always, how can I finagle so that I can get the biggest one? You know? Isn't that funny? Like, be, what do you, 
have you ever like looked into what this comes from? Like just that, like that feeling. And I know, like, I've, I don't know if you ever follow Gabby Bernstein stuff. She has this like course called Finally Full. And she talks about how from a really young age, she had this feeling of like scarcity. And she mm-hmm. would always have that same thought. I had the same thoughts when I was little. I was always measuring, like making sure, like always afraid I wasn't going to get, I still have to fight it to this day. I still have to fight like being the first in line at the buffet or, you know, making sure I get like, do you know what? Like I, I still have to fight. I'm very aware of it. It's not, it doesn't rule me, but I had that at a really young age. Have you ever looked into like what that thing is? No, I haven't looked into it, but it, it, it does amaze me. And it amazes me more that other people don't have it again. It's yes. like that moment. Like, I don't, I don't ever think about food. I just sit down and eat it. You know, it's like, <laughs> I don't worry I'm so- if I'm not getting the biggest piece of pie. Yeah. Right. And, it's and, so funny though, because I, I felt, I mean, that's how I felt about alcohol all the time. Yeah. And the, well, and that's why it, there's like such a crossover, you know, right, right. that, that same, it's like, however, whatever it is that I'm latching onto, that, that same desire within to fill, to fill, 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 or like that I'm not going to get enough. I have to put as much in me as possible to, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and it is, it's like, and that started, Laura, you, so this started for me. I can remember that back to as little as I can be always, always. I used to, um, like, uh, eat to the point where I would get sick and then throw up. Um, just because I, 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 I overstuffed myself with rich food. Um, and, um, and, and always from this place of scarcity. And then that did transfer over to alcohol and other things, like never enough. But did you not have that feeling of scarcity when you were younger? Me with food? Yeah, yeah for sure. Totally. Oh. I did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, no, I did for sure. Um, I don't think about it as often. Like I'm only thinking about it now that, um, that Carla's talking about it, but I, I definitely did. Like, I remember, um, I would have babysitters, you know, stay with me and they would make me like a piece of raisin toast. I, you know, it was always like sugary, buttery things and they would make me a piece of raisin toast and I would sit there and like figure out how I could make, like convince her to give me more. And it would, it would take up hours and hours of my time. And I would, until I would finally give up and just ask for it. But I was so embarrassed about asking for it. Um, and it was like that with everything. And I think um, <clears throat> alcohol just like supplanted it, you know, when yeah. it took over. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about food. And, um, you know, I will definitely talk to people who have, you know, been in recovery for drugs and alcohol and then find that food comes up because so often it's the, the first, first thing. That thing. Yeah, it's like it's the it's the legal thing. Yes. Yeah. So core. So um, okay. So you remember? I mean, going back to it, um, you remember just your sticking your hand in the bag and making sure, like, wanting worrying about getting the most. It was like a race to the bottom of the bag. It was like how much <laughs> get the most, and then it would be gone by the time we got home, and we'd sort of all just be in in a, you know, coma and like, mm-hmm. it was like, okay, now we can somehow finish the day. Um, and that sort of quiet, you know, it's like in, um, cat on a hot tin roof, brick always talks about the click from drinking, you know, it's like, I'm just waiting for the click. And yeah, it's this yeah. thing with, I'm just waiting for that click. I'm waiting for that moment of phew, numb. Yeah. And, um, 
you know, and also my mom would get things for herself. Like she would get candy or something and, and try to hide it because she didn't want us to eat terribly as, you know, as she was. And, um, but then it would be like, she would hide it and then I would find it. And so again, it became almost a game, like this weird compulsive game. She would be at work, you know, cause she worked late. So we were sort of latchkey kids. Um, came home, I would find her stash, hide it somewhere else. She would find, find it again, hide it again. I mean, it was just this ridiculous dance that we started doing. And, um, and so that's when I started gaining weight and in middle school. Um, and it, you know, thankfully I didn't have, and I think it was because I was kind of sweet and quiet. I didn't ever have there were maybe two times that I remember people talking about my weight, you know, it wasn't like people made fun of me or, you know, and it wasn't like I, I was, um, severely obese, but I was definitely a heavier kid. Um, and then on top of that, there was also the fact that I was, that I am, um, a black girl, African-American girl growing up in, um, a mostly white community and or largely white community. And the people who I ended up being friends with were, were largely white. And I'm, I've only realized recently how deeply that affected me, um, that sense of being other. And on top of, you know, having this big secret about my dad, oh, so to sort of finish that story, he was, there was one evening I was sitting getting my hair done. My aunt and my mom were there, my sister, and we got a knock on the door. I was 10 and, um, and it was the police and they were coming to find my dad. And I don't know, I still don't know clearly what happened. It must've been something about maybe he was helping to sell drugs or something like that. Um, but they came and, um, he wasn't there thankfully. So I didn't have to, you know, witness witness that. that. Um, and I do, you know, I have to say, I feel like I, I feel really grateful because I feel like there have been these moments where I've been saved from seeing really traumatic things. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, even though traumatic things are happening around me. So, um, but that was a really, that's, I, I don't remember many things from my childhood, like specific memories, but that's one that stands out, you know, kind of being shuffled into the back room with my sister um, and trying to hear what the cops were saying from the other room. And then again, it was never discussed. So my mom never said, you know, we didn't know my dad was sick. We didn't know why, you know, one day he just wasn't there anymore. We saw the cops and then suddenly he just wasn't there. And then we would go visit him. I don't think he was like in jail for very long. Um, but he was then in halfway houses and, um, we would go visit him but it was never discussed. It was like, oh, well, we're going to see dad with all his friends who make up eggs. <laughs> Isn't that so wild that this stuff was never discussed? Like saying, yeah. it's like, what? How? Uh, it's so bizarre. I mean, it's the same, same in my family. It was like, no, NBD, I'm just, you know, going to have another divorce. Just don't worry about it. And, you know, especially, you know, my niece now is, um, she has a heart condition and like to see the way that my sister communicates with her, that we all communicate with her and really do our best to, and, and just the kids in my life in general. And, and maybe it's a result of having been kept in the dark about certain things. And, and I think it's also generational. I think that time was sort of like, you don't talk about family business. You don't, you know, um, 
we deal with this together. And, um, and now like, I just think it's so important to talk to kids and to, to tell them to answer their questions. And, you know, as it's probably a result of that. Um, but so anyway, yeah, so there was the, there were just all of these secrets at home and, um, and then I, so I felt othered with in middle school because of that. I felt like, you know, I was holding, holding it together for my family. Um, and then also the normal middle school stuff, hormones and body changing and, um, you know, starting to like boys. And one thing that I, I think is really important actually, because I, I think it's, it's linked is that when, again, when I was nine or 10, I had a crush on this boy, Ryan, Ryan Moore, if you're listening, it was you. <laughs> Hi, Ryan. You were the one. You were the one. Um, uh, <laughs> I remember looking, I don't know why I remember this. I remember we, we played recorder in, you know, like in music class, mm, mm-hmm. just remember, like watching his fingers play the recorder. <laughs> the sexiest thing. So sexy. So anyway, um, I had a crush on this, um, on Ryan and my, I was with my friend, one of my best friends at the time, Tasha and her mom. And they were just, I mean, completely harmless, uh, playful nudging of me. And Tasha said, you know, I think Carla likes Ryan and his, her mom was like, Oh, tell me about it. You know, but I was such a shy kid because of these secrets, because of the, I was so sensitive and so shy. It was like, I didn't want anyone to know anything about me because I was so afraid of, um, you know, being vulnerable of being um, made fun of, of, you know, if, if, if it was like, Carla slept in, you know, if my mom said Carla slept late this morning, it was like, please, please, please don't tell people about it, you know, um, because I wanted to look perfect because I wanted to be the one who never had an emotion, the one who never ruffled any feathers, the one who never made anything hard for anybody. I wanted to be as like small and palatable as possible. Um, and so in that moment with, with my friend and her mom, I just remember I said, no, I don't like Ryan. And in that moment, I thought, okay, I'm never talking about this again. And I didn't. Mm, yeah. And so with, with being, you know, liking boys and having, you know, all my other friends were kind of running around and having boyfriends and not having boyfriends. And I never talked about like I never said to my friends, oh, I like this guy or, you know, it was just like, nope, I'm keeping it to myself. And also because um, what I realize now is I would have these flirtations with boys that I think probably because of race and, you know, maybe weight, but I, I think probably more because of like racial and socioeconomic dynamics, we would have these connections and then I would see them with their friends and it was like, I didn't exist. And mm-hmm. so- I, of course, didn't think, well, that's because of, you know, um, racism and (laughs) (laughs) problems of our society. I just thought, oh, no, it's It's because awful. Yeah. (laughs) So I think it's with me. Yeah. I think it's so it's so interesting you say the the small piece, you know, how much um, I mean, it just like cuts that it's such a it's such a thing among women that we just try and 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 strip it away until it fits in right just like quiet gets like gets smaller with your voice gets smaller with your size gets smaller it's all it reminds me of glennon's book but it's just this, yeah. this idea of of just 
being, you know, small enough to, to fit in, you know, never being too big in any way. Absolutely. And, and certainly it's, um, you know, it came up for me in race, but also with gender, you know, and, you know, I joke about my high voice, but yeah, I mean, when I get ungrounded still, my voice goes up and yeah. off. <laughs> right. Funny? Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Little girl <laughs> voice, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, so did you, just on the race tip, when did you, did, when did that become into your awareness that that, that that was a, that that was a thing if it wasn't then? Question. Because my mom would talk about it, you know, and I thought she was crazy. I was like, stop talking about it so much. It's not a big deal. Um, I went to, um, she would have me go to these like sort of community events with other black people. And I was just like, I would roll my eyes. And <laughs> And I'm actually really, really glad that she did. Cause I learned so much about, you know, just cultural history. And, um, it was, it was important for me and I understand now why she did it, but I didn't, I just didn't think it was a big deal. Um, mm. and I'm, and she, she could see, you know, she could see my keeping small and, and all of that. So, um, but I guess, it probably, honestly, I really feel like it's the, in the last five years that I've really understood how deeply I was affected. You know, I think I had a sense of it when I went to college and from taking classes, and but it always seemed removed from me. It was always like, well, kind of conceptual. And it's only recently that I'm really getting um, how much it affected me, how much it affected me on a personal level. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, you know, I had middle school, uh, got a period. And what was your eating like in middle school? It was just, ov- it was over, over eating? Yeah, for sure. That's, that's when it really took off. And because, um, because I was older, we were coming home more now, like on our own, you know, yeah. when I was elementary school, I was, I would go to my aunt's house more, um, you know, and spend time with them. But because I was older, it was like, I could come home and kind of take care watch my sister. And so I would, you know, where she was coming home and wanting to go outside and play with kids. I was like, how fast can I usher her out of the house so I can sit and watch TV and run back and forth to the kitchen? Oh my God. Yeah. No, right. it's so like, I don't, I haven't thought about that in so long, but that's like that. Oh my God. Right. I would make like three TV dinners and I keep going back and forth between the TV and the kitchen. Yes. yes. Yeah. And you know, I still, uh, it, I still have issues eating meals with people. I'm again, only really realizing now how deep that is. I eat little bits. Um, but my friend the other day was like, Hey, can, what's up with you? And, and them not ever wanting to eat meals with me. You know? And is, is it because it trips up this thing? Like uh, the not, not going to have enough thing. No, it's because I really just want to be alone with it. With you. I know. Oh. Right. No. Yeah, yeah. Oh I can, okay. man. Like That's it's so, so and it, it, 
it is vile, but it isn't. It's like you're, it's, I mean, because it's like catharsis. Like there's nothing more, I mean, you're trying to fill your root chakra, right? And there's nothing more like homey than like a, a huge, like I can barely eat pasta anymore. I don't keep it in my home because it's a very, because like, I have a really bad history with it. Um, but there was like nothing better than either like sitting in front of the TV with either like a carton of ice cream or sitting with like a bowl of pasta, just having that like time to yourself. Every day after school. Yes, <laughs> right? Yeah. But you eat with me. I mean, and it's really funny. I mean, that you mentioned this because I did want to bring this up. What was What struck me so much, and I didn't notice this until I met you, was that when we were together and I was eating around you, I'm not really caught. Like I'm not, I, I eat fast. I just mm-hmm. am a fast eater um, and I eat large quantities. Um, mm-hmm. And then I obsess over the last few bites. Am I full yet? Am I not? Am I full yet? Am I not? Am I full yet? Am I not? Can I have more? Should I? What, how's this going to feel? T-? You know what I mean? Like it's just this like ugh, always kind of this thing, even though I would not classify myself as having like as being disordered with my eating anymore. I th- I would say like I have a very like s- uh, slight issue with it um, compared to what it was. But when I was with you, I noticed I felt like I was exposed and I felt like you and like you could see my pathology with food. (laughs) And so I was like, I would have, I wanted seconds and I was, and I didn't need seconds. And I was like, she's going to be able to see that I'm going back for just the like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it was just very interesting. I felt very, um, and I still do like when we went out to dinner, whenever, um, and you didn't eat very much. And I had like the whole, that whole fucking, you know, vegan, gluten-free, whatever Reuben. Um, and then the, like, I mean, I knew, I know exactly what I got around you and I normally wouldn't say, I know exactly what I got around an individual. Um, yeah, I, I, I totally get it, you know, and, um, for me now, I, I don't think so much about, it's not, it's not so much the, what am I having? It's just really, it's like that I've had, I've, I've had other things on my own. And so (laughs) when I eat with other people, it's like, oh, but I'm not hungry anymore. (laughs) And and it's, it's like, that's where like the comp- the compulsivity still lives for me. Like, um, if I know I'm going to dinner for- with someone, or if I know I'm going to lunch, and maybe it's an anxiety before because I'm really starting to look at it now that it's being reflected to me. This is sort of like the next frontier. Okay. Um, it's like if I know I'm going out with people, inevitably an hour before I'm supposed to leave, I'm like, oh, maybe I'll just have a meal now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so then I go out and I'm like, oh no, I, I'm okay. You know? And That's... so, and then it's awkward. <laughs> so, <laughs> so interesting. Working on, you know, just sitting with the anxiety and, um, allowing myself to wait because I'm not going to die in two hours. <laughs> from yeah. Always some reason. Um, but there are like, and those are where this, the rules around food still exist, you know, yeah. right? Like the unspoken rules that I don't even know I have about schedule, about, you know, what I'm supposed to eat and how much and when and all of that. Um, and, but, but I really just make them up so that I can control it, you know? And it's funny too, that the rules thing comes up again, because yeah. what I noticed on the Vipassana was I, and I think I told you this, Holly, there's, so there's a rule about um, lying down. 
during meditation that, you know, you're sitting for a long time. If you need to rest, you can go lie down for five minutes, but then you need to get back up. And, you know, I heard this as you had to sit up during all of meditation. Like there was no lying down. That's just not an option. But if you wanted to lie down at all during the entire day, the course of the whole day, (laughs) you could only lie down for five minutes at a time. So I was like exhausted because we were, you know, getting up at 4.30 in the morning and meditating. We would have these long breaks and I would go into my tent and set, look at my clock and I would lie down for five minutes and then sit up for five minutes and then lie down for five minutes. (laughs) Oh my God, that's so funny. And meanwhile, I'm over in my tent like napping for hours, <laughs> writing in my magazine, like breaking the rules, trying to make eye contact with people. And funny is I started seeing people lying down on the grass and, you know, lying down during, and I, in my head, I was like, oh, they're just not getting as much out of this as I am. <laughs> I'm not, you know, again, like it's ridiculous rule. And so it was like the seventh day and I hadn't slept at all the night before. And I was teary, you know, I was like, when you get to that place where you're so exhausted that you feel like the whole world is going to collapse. And you're like, yeah. You're yes. me anxious just to think about it. Exactly. And so I went up to the woman who runs the you know, who was like leading the meditation. And I was like, Hey, um, I've noticed that other people are lying down. And I just was wondering if, if I could lie down for more than five minutes at a time. <laughs> she was like, yes, go take a nap. <laughs> you freak. <laughs> Seven days in that I was still doing this. And that was such a huge learning for me, you know, that I make up these rules for myself that I will not let go of. Even when I see all of the evidence around me that I don't have to be doing that, that I don't have to be following it. But um, instead of asking and instead of being vulnerable, instead of investigating the possibility that I might be doing something that's hurtful, that's not serving myself, I just, I will stick to it no matter what. And it's that, so, it makes so much sense though. I mean, th- given, you know, you're like, how you grew up. It's like yeah. if you broke rules or in your mind, you know, if you the rule for, for me, it was the rules of, um, you know, being, being the best little girl again, like yeah. being, small, being, being the one that follows all the rules that makes it easier for everybody else that doesn't, you know, never has to be talked to. Um, nothing bad will happen. Exactly. Exactly. It'll make it okay. I'm not adding to the chaos. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting here. This is like what's so interesting is my stuff, a lot of my stuff, you know, really was brought on because of um, my body and what I thought it should and shouldn't be. And I thought, you know, I knew, I, I, you know, I've talked before. My sister nicknamed me cottage cheese stomach when I was in the fifth grade and told me I had cellulite. And I, knew from a really young age that my worth was tied into my weight and, um, that stuck. And, um, you haven't really talked about the body image piece of this. Um, so it's interesting. That's, that's kind of the next, it's a a perfect transition, um, into high school. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to high school. Right. Exactly. Um, and this, it was just the first time. So at this time I had already, what I had found was theater. And so that became my saving grace because it was like, there were a bunch of weirdos there and I felt accepted and I could use my voice. And so I just started hiding out in the theater. Basically I would go all the time. I, 
you know, that it's also where sort of my workaholism started because I love it. And I still, to this day, love what I do, but I do too much of it to the point where, you know, I, I will be, you know, last night I was, I, yesterday I worked, um, like a 14 hour day at the soap. And then I went to the theater where my theater company was having rehearsal for a show that I'm in. And I was there until midnight. And then I came home and sent some emails about the production company that I run. And then I got up this morning at six o'clock so that I could be on the podcast, you know, and it's like all of these beautiful things I love, but where's the space for feeling? Where's the space for me? You know? Um, and that's, that started in high school. It was like, I found this this place that I, that felt like home and I was there all the time. But as you were saying, Holly, that space is linked to not so much the theater, but it's linked to certainly television and media body um, and perfectionism. And so I remember I wanted to, the, the woman who ran our theater department also ran the dance team. And I mean, I really didn't want to be on the dance team, but I did love dancing. And some of my other friends were on it. And I remember auditioning for it. Um, and then also just generally in our productions, wanting to dance more. And it was very clear that it was like, I couldn't do that because I think she had some body stuff too, honestly. Um, but because of my body shape, it was like, no, the skinny girls could do that. But you, Carla, will just plant you somewhere and you sing, you know. Um, mm. And so that started this. It was the I, that was the first time that I realized, like, oh, there's something that I can't do because of the way that my body is, and um, and I didn't know how to shift it. I didn't accept to try to exercise. You know, I would go home and do my mom's old like Jane Fonda. <laughs> albums, you know, um, or the Cindy, or at that point she had like the Cindy Crawford videotapes. Oh, I had those. Yeah, exactly. Um, I would do those. Um, yeah. And then I remember the music from both of those. There was one on Jane Fonda. There was like a Jackson five song, but can you feel it? And the Cindy Crawford (laughs) seal. It was like the first time I heard seal. (laughs) (laughs) I remember what they wore, you know, And so, yeah, that comparison started. And then again, with the boys, I'm still not talking about who I like, but I know in my, in my core now that it's because there's something different about me. And, you know, on some level I realize it's race, but also now body, you know, that's so, oh God. Yeah. I, I thought my body was the block between me and, um, like I, I haven't thought about this stuff for so long the both the like hiding any sort of any sort of stuff around boys right just hiding it like I'm not going to talk about that ever again and being ashamed of it and then also your body like being this block between you and them yeah thinking that was a thing I mean that didn't go away till I was like 30. Yeah well and you know not understanding that the dynamic because it's a very visual like attraction is a very Mm -hmm. visual thing, particularly not so much for me necessarily, although, I mean, I like attractive people, but (laughs) I think, I think (laughs) like what is attractive in someone is, um, more inside, you know, I can not necessarily think someone's attractive and then talk to them and they are excited about some thing or, or another in it it peaks something in me and I'm like, Oh my God, let's go like right now. But, um, <laughs> but, um, 
for, you know, I think a lot of men and particularly boys, teenage boys, it's, it is visual. And so it's this feeling of being paraded and, you know, that feeling I I volunteer in high schools now and I laugh because it's like instantly there's a sense of anxiety. You go back in and it's like you, you like soak in all of that energy of wanting to be right, of wanting to be seen as whatever, um, is the acceptable and, desired thing. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I remember there was this club. It's, it was like some kind of social action, social justice club. And I walked in one day and they were doing a strike. And it was about raising awareness about, or not a strike, sorry, a fast. Um, and it was raising awareness about like hunger or something like that. And they had all been, you know, probably told their parents about it. <laughs> it's like been planning for a week, you know, it was a big deal. They were all going to fast for the day. I walk in and I'm like, Oh, this is the thing you can do. You can just not, not eat. eat. For- okay. <laughs> oh, right. But what was so funny. And so that started the whole dieting exercise. Mm-hmm. If I eat too much, then I just don't eat the next day. I don't eat until the end of, you know, I won't eat breakfast and lunch really just starting to play around with that. But I had this idea of feminism that I must've picked up some, you know, from my mom or school or, so it was never dieting. I would never diet. No, but I would fast. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so again, like these rules, you know, um, And yeah, so then I went to college and I started dancing. Um, I went to a musical theater conservatory and theater school. Um, And so I became more active. I was living in New York City, so I was walking everywhere. I had no money for the subway, so I just walked everywhere. Um, And I was eating. The first year that I was in the dorm, I probably ate the best because I was on a meal plan and I was eating with people. It was like the probably the most normal that I've ever eaten in my whole life. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was like we all went to school together. We had a break. We would eat together. We would go back. We had a break. We were walking around. It was you know it was just very um, structured and and easy too and social and with other people and you know um, so that was freshman year. I dropped a lot of weight. Um, but what's funny is I had no sense of that. You know, I I, I this is where I see like. I don't know my body. I still to this day can't trust what I think my body looks like because I looked the same. I, it's like I've looked the same to me since I was 10 years old, which is obviously impossible. Um, and so my sophomore year, I wasn't- What does that enough. look like? Um, just kind of slightly overweight, always. <laughs> huh. You know? Whatever. Yeah, no matter what. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> no matter about acceptable. <laughs> you know? Isn't that funny? Uh, sorry. Okay. So your sophomore year. Okay. So sophomore year, I wasn't on the meal plan anymore. Um, I was living with roommates and, um, I, oh, I should say there was a girl who lived next door to me freshman year who was good friends with us and she was bulimic and, um, and she admitted it. She didn't, but my friend, my roommate was very, very good friends with her. And she kind of said, I think, you know, Kim has this thing going on. And, um, yeah. and I just remember thinking, oh, I eat a lot like Kim. <laughs> 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 
that. Like she would come in and kind of like steal our peanut butter and was like, yeah, hey, yeah, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> And so the next year, so the next year when um, I didn't have a food plan and it was more like, okay, I'm buying food and, you know, and I had money on top of it. It, then it was just like a shit show. It was like, what the, it was, I mean, and I realized I was like, okay, I got, there's something going on here. And um, so like, because the, you were binging. Because I was binging, because I was stealing people's food, because I was, yes. you know, the old stuff, eating food down to a certain point and then replacing it. And, you know, if someone would have a carton of something, I would finish it and then have to get another carton of the yes. same thing down to that place. Isn't then- that crazy? <laughs> I think about that more than anything. I used to eat everyone. I would never buy it for myself. I would eat everyone else's food because I couldn't trust myself with it. But then I would eat all their food and I was so crazy perfect about replacing the exact, I would eat, I would have to like <laughs> buy a new box of Captain Crunch. Okay. Like eat out one quarter of it. Like take it all down exactly back to the way it was. So nobody detects a thing. And I remember one time I ate my friend Sue's chicken cacciatore when I was drunk, like all of it. And she wakes me up and comes screaming in the room and is just like, like going off about me eating her like chicken from the night before because I didn't have a chance to replace it. And like just going off and like, I mean, who's like, I, I just remember thinking who the fuck steals people's food? Anyway, a lot of people. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of us are running around like crazy people trying to like, make it look like we are not stealing other people's food when we are. <laughs> Sorry, it's and, so funny. Yeah, yeah, it's oh. Um, so there was one summer I went to study in Amsterdam, uh, study abroad, and you know. Tons of debauchery happens in Amsterdam, especially when you're a college student. Um, and by this time, I had given away my, I'd given up on my dare days. And so <laughs> <laughs> there are all kinds of things happening. But to me, I mean, it's so funny because the drugs and alcohol just was never a thing. It's like people will talk about, you know, if you put like heroin, coke, alcohol, and a cake on a table, I wouldn't even. Like those things don't even exist to me, but well, for me, actually, wasn't. I'm not a big cake eater, but like a tray of mac and cheese, you know, I know exactly where I'm going. Yeah, you know, so um, it just wasn't ever a thing. But I, it was the first time that I lived alone, and that's when I noticed. I would notice we would go to the grocery store, and other people would have food in their house for more than a day. You know, (laughs) I would buy food for the week and it would be gone. And, you know, it was, I, that's where I realized like, wow, I really can't control this. Um, and at the time there was, um, someone who was in recovery for, uh, for drugs and alcohol. And you were just overeating. I'm sorry. Right. Like, were you purging? You were were just overeating. Okay. but the bulimic behavior, what I didn't know until later was that there's bulimia in the exercise. exercise. Yeah. yeah. And in the, and in that, just that cycle of binging and, rest- and restricting, yes. you know, I'll, I will eat so much and then I won't eat for a day. You know, the fasting again, you know, all of these, just trying to control, which really then leads to the bulimia, which um, was in, in the later part of my story. So, um, but I, I heard, we talked a lot of the women we would sit in the, we, where we were studying was the house. And so like where our studio was, was kind of a big house and there was a kitchen and, and all of the young women would sit in the kitchen and eat and talk about 
eating, <laughs> talk about body image stuff. And, you know, um, and there was a, a girl there who was in recovery from um, alcohol. And I just remember her being so focused on why she was there. And um, I, I admired her, her clarity and um, that she would hang out with us and then say, no, I'm going to go home tonight, you know, but, it, and it never felt like she was a victim. It just felt like that was the choice she was making. Yeah. Um, so one time I remember we were sitting like in the stairwell and she was like, well, you know, I have friends who, you know, from, from being in recovery and, you know, who also have dealt with food. And when I heard that, I was like, if there's some way to talk about this thing, if there's a name for this thing, then I have it. And I need that. I need that. Um, I need that recovery. I need that, that space to talk about it. Um, and so, and so it took me about a year to like finally investigate um, ways to deal with what was going on. Um, and I started you know, I was working with a therapist. I started, um, you know, finding different support systems and I just began this journey of recovery. Um, and it wasn't an easy, it wasn't a, a smooth road, you know, for me, it was like, it took me a while to, cause let's see, I would really say it's been eight years eight, nine years. It's definitely, it's been nine years since I've purged, um, mm. and eight years, um, that, you know, the, the real like serious binging has yeah. stopped. So when I started the journey of like investigating, um, the food and how it was manifesting in my life and, um, starting to heal that it, that was like 15 years ago. And I, I just, I think that's so important because, that time, the, the time in between kind of getting it and just finding out that there was something wrong, like really owning that there was something wrong, like those are really tender years and they're important. And, I, you know, for people who are going through any kind of back and forth in letting go, those are, the, that's where the juice is. You know, that's where I learned I so much about myself and, um, I don't know. I just have a, a fondness for that period of time as, as painful as it is. Cause it is, you know, once, once the lights on and you know that there's another way, but you're trying to get there and you have a taste of it and then you slide back. It, like it, it's such a, it feels so defeating, but mm-hmm. there's always this part of me that knew where I was heading and that like with every little step forward, even with the slides back, like you can't take away that step forward, you know? So Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, in that time, in that tender time, my dad died, we had had, we, um, have developed a a pretty good relationship actually. And, um, when I first got into recovery, I was at, I was in a pretty low place, um, you know, because of binging and, I, I was to the point where I wasn't making myself throw up because again, that was one of my rules. Like I will never make myself throw up because I don't want to ruin my teeth. Um, <laughs> but I was eating to the point where I was throwing up and, um, there was some stuff going on at home with 
you know, my sister and my mom and, you know, my sister was in high school and she was going through her own stuff. And my dad got remarried and no one was going to be there. And so I said, okay, I'll go. And it was in the middle of just crazy insanity. And I just remember flying out there and being with him and singing at the wedding. And, you know, so there was healing that began, um, when I was in college, when I could start talking to him as an adult, talking to him on my own. Um, and he died when I was 23, like 20, something around 22, 23. And, um, when he died, I had been kind of going back and forth, caring for him, trying to manage, you know, my sister didn't, by this time I I knew that he was sick. My sister didn't know. So then I had to, did he, I'm sorry. What did he, what was it addiction related? Um, yeah, it was related. It was related to his addiction. Um, and it was something that, you know, just wasn't talked about. I found out in this like really kind of manipulative way where we had gotten into a fight and I was finally using my voice and I'm going to stand up to him. And he goes, well, I'm sick. I'm dying. Yeah. <laughs> I, I knew that was coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so that was like my freshman year of college. And then, um, as he was dying, um, I had to be the one to tell my sister finally. Um, and she still has a lot of anguish about that and about not knowing. And, um, there like, uh, there was a lot that was never settled in their relationship that she's healing now still. Um, but you know, so it's kind of just balancing all of these different energies. My dad was remarried, but my mom was still in love with him. She is still to this day, you know, so like dealing with all of these different energies. And, um, so he died and I, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle the emotion. I just didn't know what to do with it. And I didn't know how to talk about it. And so that's when I started throwing up because it was like a physicalization of the pain that I didn't know how to talk about, that I didn't know how to. And it was like the most violent thing and somehow the most satisfying thing in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then it just, and to, 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 bring in, you know, Holly, what you were talking about before and asking about before being in the public eye. At this point, I was on a kid's show and I, it was the second time I was there. The first time, oh, sorry, there would be Australia. We we shot the show in Australia. And the first time that I was in Australia, I saved all this money. I was actually, it was in the beginning of my food recovery. So I was like exercising and healthy and eating food that was, you know, eating meals. And I dropped all this weight and I was in this great place. And the second time I was in complete disarray. I was up every single night and, um, walking around the streets of us, of Sydney, searching for convenience stores, like popping around to different ones, buying food, going in, eating all the food, lying on the floor, stomach distended, you know, in pain, throwing up, going to work. You know, I wasn't sleeping. Um, the first time around, I saved so much money. The second time around, I had, I just blew it all on food. Um, you know, it was just, it was, a, I was in complete um, meltdown. And while I was there, my aunt, my other aunt, who was a, uh, like a mom to me, you know, died. And 
I wasn't going to tell anyone. And this is the thing. I'm so good at putting on the smile. I remember I was, I had had a night, I was up all night, you know, the eating, the puking. I was crying my eyes out. And then I put together a playlist because we all drove to, you know, the whole cast, we drove together in this little van to work. And I drove, I put it on, you know, put my, I plugged in my iPod and we went to work and my husband had, or I guess he was my boyfriend at the time, had called the office to let them know that my aunt passed away. And I, so I walk in and someone from the office said, you know, I'm so sorry about your aunt. And I just, it was like, I broke, you know, it was like the whole smile, everything that I built up for that morning just fell apart. And I literally ran to the bathroom because it was the only thing I knew how to do was to try to make myself throw up. (laughs) Who is like, so get it out controlled and so you know about what it's like I blacked out it was like I can't I cannot imagine because I I I'm so aware of what other people think of me literally just running to the bathroom and people must have known what was going on with me and or had some sense of it because at this time also my I was gaining weight like what I was doing I was eating so much that the exercise and the, and I had been very, very skinny when I got there. So, um, so it was obvious that there was something going on and there was stuff that I wasn't talking about. And, you know, um, I remember one of our producers just running after me, banging on the bathroom door, like, you know, I'm sure he just knew exactly what I was doing. And, um, you know, and so I came out and, and just, and, and just collapsed and that, but that was really the beginning of, um, real, real solid core healing and recovery from, from the food stuff. And I guess yeah, so, was, sorry. Go ahead. No, go. No, I just think it's so like when, when you kind of like take a step back and look at this, it's just so crazy how much you like the, well, like the, not only the disconnection, but this like keeping up this facade in order to really like you know, not put your burden on anyone, right? To like soldier on and be this like playlist, you know, drive, whatever, like playlist making, like, you know. Drive and, on the other side of the street, like, yeah. you know. <laughs> it was fine. I mean, you know, and then, di- and you're dying. And like you're dying on the inside and you're doing everything to like not, you know, put that on anyone else or to show it, you know, to just like, it's such a... um and then you, and it gets more violent on the inside. Like the more like try, you know, like, like the more still you try and keep it on the surface, the more it just yeah, breaks. Exactly. Um, yeah. So then the first stripping away was the, was the bulimia. I stayed there, you know, the, the choice was either go home or, um, you know, stay there. And they, they were um, incredible. I have to say the people that I worked for um, put me set me up in with this therapist who is unbelievable. I, I think about this woman all the time because yeah. there are things that she gave me that absolutely laid the foundation for, you know, just the sanity that I have today. You know? yeah. um, she was incredible. And, and so I would go, you know, every, and they, they, they paid for it and they made sure that I had the best person. And, um, and I, first started letting go of the, of the bulimia, which included over-exercise. And that was really hard. 
um, because I was on camera. And so I can literally watch in that season going from being underweight, um, you know, like where my head was too big (laughs) to being, you know, probably like 30 pounds, 30, 40 pounds heavier than, you know, than what's like a normal size for me because I just, um, or like it was still going in and it just wasn't coming out. And I was coming out. And so, um, but just, that has to be hard to, I mean, can you see it now? Like, can you stand watching it now? I have compassion. Yeah, I do. But it's still, it still is. There's a little piece of me that goes, Oh God, I can't believe other people watch this. You know, (laughs) I can't believe other, it's like those poor children, they have to watch. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Uh, So yeah, you know, there is a, there is a public record of it, you know, and, um, uh, it was it was challenging and but so I, I let go of the the bulimia first and then slowly um, the binging it, the, you know the real like all night running around and there's things that I think about now oh poor my poor um, boyfriend and then husband um, <laughs> I was with him from. Um, when I was 16 years old and, you know, he, he lived through so much of my insanity with food. And, um, I would lie next to him on the couch or sit next to him on the couch and like pump my stomach because like, like kind of flex it because it was like, I was always thinking about how to make myself skinnier, how, how I could exercise, how I can maximize any moment. I just can't imagine that. I really, and I'm so grateful that I can't imagine it. So much of my life was about being thin, was about what it was going in my mouth or not, and what other people thought about my body. I mean, all of it, right? Like, because it's always running even in the background, even when you're doing other things. It feels like... Always. Never not there. Right. Yeah. And So, so, you know... Yeah, so how did you, okay, so what did you use? Like, I mean, therapy, but also like, did you use cognitive behavioral therapy? Like for, like, okay, so if you, you if you then, like, or if somebody came to you today and was like, I, I am, I am binging and purging and what, whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, what would you say is the thing that really worked for you? Yeah, I think a combination of, um, therapy and then group support. I think that not being alone, you know, community, that's why I love what you all do. I love the idea of taking the stigma out of what we're doing, you know, of, of be, of living a life that is healthy and healing. Like that's really all we're doing. It's not, you know, we have these words like, you know, sobriety and, um, you know, recovery and that, that make it seem like, we're nuns living in a chapel somewhere on a hill. It's like <laughs> not what it's about. It's, it's, I mean, which it's fine if you want to be a nun living in a chapel on a hill, but that's not what's required, you know, that it's um, really what it is, is about living a life that where I can tap into my self-worth and self-love that I'm not hurting myself anymore, you know? So whatever it is that gets me to that point, I mean, Kundalini, is a huge, has been a huge part of that for me in the past couple of years. Moving out to California was a huge part of that for me. Um, Chasing your dream, like fulfilling your purpose. Well, actually, you know, I'm a New Yorker. I moved out here. It was really the slowing down. Like I talked Mm. about the 
learning how like I couldn't take the subway uptown and then downtown and then overtown and then, you know what I mean? And yeah. do 1500 gazillion things um, that I had to, it was like, I'm driving across town. Oh, and then there's traffic. So that's all I'm going to do today. Okay. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm friends, you know, and even most recently, like learning how to eat meals with people, you know, they, all of these things. Um, it was the first time that I'd really lived away from home and family, even though, you know, Australia was sort of that way, but it was this weird bubble time. And then also, you know, everything was so wackadoo while I was there. Um, it was sort of like being at camp, (laughs) but you know, this is the first time that I'd moved somewhere, had a place, been on my own, really like built this life as an adult in, in, you know, having healed from having an eating disorder, having healed some of the, um, effects of, you know, growing up with addiction, um, that, that my sense of self-love has really deepened and acceptance of myself and body wise. And, and, uh, so I guess, it's funny because I moved out to LA and LA, of course, is all about perfection. Everyone's skinny. I could not believe <laughs> the plastic surgery and, you know, all of these sort of stereotypical things that, that do exist here, you know. Yeah. But on the other hand, there's also, um, if you look for it and plug into it, it's all what you decide to plug into. And what I found was this really um, incredible spiritual community and sense of um, and being able to go outside and the ocean and the mountains and um, really lovely people who who I you know I have a community out here that is like the community of my dreams truly truly and um, and I've created a create a work life that is you know the the work life of my dreams you know and keeps growing and um, and Darn it, I had a point. Ah. <laughs> point. No, but just like you like you were saying that any like you, you know, LA, if you look for it, you can find this perfection everywhere and this thing that this unattainableness that you can't ever live up to. But also you can find a spiritual community and you can find like, I mean, there's just it's not one faceted. You find what you look for. Absolutely. Well, but but um, the lo- the other point that I wanted to make is that, you know, I came out to this place that's so much about body and perfectionism and industry and, you know, outside in. Um, and for whatever reason, I was in this place spiritually that where I was like, you know, I'm just tired of the body shit. I'm tired, like it's old and I'm tired of running my career and my creative life around this thing, this, uh, this unattainable thing. Mm-hmm. And so as I moved out to this place that was so much about, um, what, how everything looks, I said, you know, I don't, I believe that I'm supposed to be doing this work. And I also believe that I'm supposed to be healthy. And so those two things are going to have to exist together. And it's hard because it means that I'm not running around trying to be the skinniest thing. And, um, and I do think sometimes it affects me getting work or not. Um, and it's, I just have to be okay with that and trust that it, the right job is going to come to me. And so far that's, that's happened, you know? Um, but it is, you know, so on one hand, it's like, sometimes I, my brain, when I'm in a, a kind of spinning place will say, oh my gosh, you're just lazy. And, you know, you're just not as committed as you were 10 years ago to your career. Yeah. Um, you know, but when I'm in a healthy place, I go, 
all right, well, I get to be a woman in a healthy body and in a normal body with all of its, you know, the main thing that I think about is like my arm fat uh, with all of its beautiful. (laughs) 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 But can you, but what is it like? I mean, can you just talk about that? Like, what is it? What goes through your mind? Like, honestly, when you have to be pictured, like going to the daytime Emmys and you're on a red carpet and you have to take those pictures. Like, that's what I think. That's what would freak the fuck out of me. And like you're on and you have to be in underwear on camera and you have to be on camera like four or five days a week, even mm-hmm. when you're on your period or when you're, you know, like bloaty or whatever. Um, like what goes like when you see yourself, like what do you see? You know, are you sitting there like I am when I look at pictures and I'm like, oh, fuck, you know, like there's that angle or, you know, that looks not as good as it could look or, you know, like what is what is the actual what actually goes through your head when you see yourself? Yeah, I mean, definitely, especially when there's a picture or, you know, and I, you know, know that I've been sort of um, maybe like eating late at night or traveling. I travel back and forth quite a bit and that really affects my body, you know, or, you know, this, or if I haven't been, um, you know, lifting weights as much, or or if I have been, and suddenly I'm on the other end where like, I'm looking, you know, thinner. It's like, yeah, there are certain things that I mentally do still, um, to like check in, you know, it's like, how's, how's like, like when I used to sort of pinch my belly fat, which I don't do anymore just unbelievable to me. Or, you know, when I used to walk around the city when I lived in New York and like no reflective surface was safe. It was just, I was constantly looking as if from window pane to the next, I would have changed somehow, you know, it's like just constantly checking in, checking in houses. So it's not that insanity, but there still is the part of me that goes, oh yeah, they can see your arms. Oh yeah. You know, your face is fat in that picture. Oh, yeah, shouldn't I, you know? Oh, yeah, wow, okay, good. That looks good. You know, whatever it is. Um, Yeah, that that still comes. The difference is that today I go, there are like other things that I'm more interested in. It's sort of like you hear that and then it goes, but it's it's challenging. But what I will say is that the trade-off, and this is what I remind myself when I go, "Mm, should I go in a, you know, three week juice cleanse, you know, <laughs> join that hot yoga studio and do a 50 day challenge, you know, whatever it is. Um, it, the difference is that I get to be on set today and I get to be at these events and like really be present and really yeah. work. And I didn't get to do that before because it was yeah. all of my body. Yeah. And now I love what I do and I get to actually love it. Um, you know, yeah, there might be like a split second where I'm like, oh yeah, well, I'm not as skinny as so-and-so or, oh yeah, now they're going to see blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, yeah, fuck that. Like, okay, thank you. Thanks for sharing. Goodbye. You know, yeah. <laughs> thanks for brain. and like in a loving way, not, you know, I don't talk to myself in like a nasty way anymore. Um, but just kind of like, I, I hear that, but I, well, we're going to do something else anyway. Yeah. yeah. It's like, well, it doesn't take up your life anymore. Like it's yeah. like drinking, right? Like drinking, mm-hmm. like th- like thinking about drinking and drinking and, you know, and am I going to drink? Am I not going to drink? You know, like all the thoughts that come around it. It's like so I wrote this. I wrote a newsletter the other day and I was like, 
writing out all the stuff I'm working on. And also I've, you know, oh, and by the way, I've watched Game of Thrones all six seasons, like twice in six months. Oh, and Mad Men, which I didn't write, you know, and I was like, but there's like actually so much space in my life now because that thing is not like only it's not there, like it's not there, right? Like you remove that thing and it's that just is a cancer and eats away at every possible like open space and then all of a sudden it's just wide and you have um and there's your life your life yeah. feels yeah that. and you can I just keep hearing you say like there's actually space for you to think to think it through or to like feel your way through a choice that you would make right yeah that's um well, yeah that's the meditation and the kundalini and you know all of that becomes so important because it's a practice practicing the pause Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, well, and especially with, I mean, it's the same with any of it, but yeah, like the pause before that hand goes in for some, well, and it's like when I was talking about those tender years where you're, where you're just learning, it's like first, first year you're noticing, like suddenly you're like, oh, I see my hand going for the bag. And then you're like, okay, I'm going for the bag, but then maybe I'll like reach out to somebody afterwards and tell them about it. And then like, you're reaching for it and you're like, actually, I'm going to reach out to someone before my hand goes in. And then it's like, you know, even before the, then it's like, oh, I'm having this feeling that could lead to that thing. And now I'm going to reach out about the feeling, you know, it's like this sort of, it gets, it just gets further and further and further away most of the time from that sort of really compulsive action, which is incredible. It is incredible. It's amazing. I mean, it's, it's miraculous. Like the space is, it's miraculous the things that we're able to do at this point. Like the things that I, I I mean, it just seemed like I would never be able to. um, Yeah. I mean, I guess the one other thing I want to add, because you were talking about red carpets is like, you know, and, and, you know, we all know this with social media and that what's presented, I, I cannot tell you how much this industry, how much my industry is about illusion. It's Mm -hmm. all illusion. And it's wonderful. Like that's the beauty of it, right? Like we get to create these magical things on screen and on stage and you go, you get swept away in it and you go, oh my gosh, how did that happen? How do they do that? How do they create that thing? But it's not just the pyrotechnics and it's not just the, um, the sets that are illusions. It's our, it's our bodies. I mean, look, I have body. Oh, you mean like the way people are presented? It's so unreal. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I have body makeup on my legs right now because, Mm. (laughs) you know. Well, that's so good to hear. Yeah, you know what I mean? Look smooth and make them look like, you know, they were colored. Like I had just been at Sunkissed, you know, like some as that they're everything from you know the way that our clothes are all altered like who who has a tailor right upstairs who has a tailor that can come to the, where they are when um, a button pops off or when something isn't fitting exactly right you know it's everything from every little angle everything is an illusion and it's a beautiful thing but it also trips us up because when we see it for me when I see it when I see these airbrushed images or perfectly crafted the food on set is all shellacked it looks gorgeous you know (laughs) like it's it's it's, so wild yeah like it's it's I think it's really important to know that these images that we don't even understand are crafting how we feel about ourselves and the ideals that we try to match aren't even real 
Yeah, it's what it is what we try and match. I mean, if you see it, like it's it's what we it's the ideal that we hold in our mind when, and when we're in the dressing room, or um, I mean, it is. It's a very um, I mean, it's it's it is magical, right? Like there is the magical part of of being swept into something into a fantasy, and there's also just the very real destructiveness of how specifically women are, you know, the ideals and how women are portrayed, and it's. Um, I will. So funny, I or not funny, you know, the guys talk so much about food because on um on soaps it's very much about the men and making sure that, you know, we see these men topless. I mean and there are times when I I love my cast. I couldn't go out to lunch. Like there was a group of guys and they were talking so much about we had, you know, a shoot that day where we all had to be in bathing suits and we were going out and they were talking about you know, drinking three gallons of water and then not eating or the other one did a, a juice or the other one just did hadn't eaten and how they were working out. And I was like, oh I, can't, I can't do it. Like, I'm, first of all, this is boring. As <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's so boring too, it's but, so boring. but more than that, that's, that's kind of wild to witness men doing that. Um, yeah, I don't see, you know, I'm not around that. I don't think exactly, but it, it, there's a whole other, there's there, it, it definitely exists for men too. It's just not, you know, it's not talked about. So yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's a gift to not think about it all the time, but it definitely still exists. Um, you know, so the next frontier is eating meals with people. (laughs) (laughs) Sweet. I hope I get to eat a meal with you. (laughs) Anytime. I would love it. Oh, I love you so much. I'm so, I'm so glad we, I mean, we were kind of like, we've talked about this. We're just meant to make, meant to meet, but, um, it was, it was total destiny that we to LA recent LA Angelinos, um, yeah. met this in Hawaii. Hi. <laughs> And just happened to be, you were the only person, you and Helen were the only people I talked to the first night and pretty much like the last day and then had this like, and then we went and did ecstatic dancing together and like just, um, you know, it's, it's, it's great. Like, it's just so funny, like how beautiful the world works like that. Like you just meet a soul, like you meet a soul sister, you know, on another island and, and, and she actually lives, you know. 10 miles from you and, 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 uh, oh, and you guys are both interested in Kundalini and also, you know, like you're both in recovery and you both have, you know, similar eating histories and it's just, yeah, it's, you know, not, a, not an accident. Pronoia. That's what my friend Jill um, met this guy in the Home Depot. She's a nut. And she was like really annoyed. <laughs> she was, she was trying to make a return and do run all these errands. And she was so annoyed that there was a long line at the home Depot and they were taking forever. And this guy was like this older man. She's still not sure if he was trying to hit on her or not, but like started talking about her dog, the dog she had with her. And she was complaining and he said, well, you know, it's pronoia. He's like, you're probably supposed to be here. And he, he was like, you know, there's paranoia where you think that the universe is conspiring against you. Oh my God. I love that. I right? love so much. Use that. It's to pronoia 2017. So That's amazing. Oh, I love I you. Thank you. Hey, love, for thanks for doing this. Thank you so sharing much. Sharing so much of your story. Um, yeah. I actually, I mean, I knew we had similar stories. I didn't know to, to what degree. Um, I have like, 
like imprinted in my my memory and my visual right now, just sitting in front of the TV when no one was at home with my pasta. Um, it's and you think you're the only one when you're in those when you're in those places. You really do. You really think you're the only one that has these like weird compulsions around this stuff or these weird things that you that have to be exactly right. Um, anyway, I love you. Yeah, thank you. I love you, Laura, too. I love you, too. <laughs> I'll meet you soon, someday. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I talk about you guys to each other a lot, so <laughs> you know each other already. Right. Okay. Bye, lady. Bye, loves. Bye. Infinitely so